0: good morning ladies my name is Cindy Kickline and we are so glad that you are all here today we will be looking at chapter 11 of Paul's letter to the Corinthians we've been with Paul for quite a while now right first first Corinthians and now second Corinthians we only have three more chapters left so I noticed as I studied this chapter that there are recurring themes that Paul goes back to Some of those topics include human wisdom versus spiritual wisdom or truth, eloquent, persuasive speech versus honest biblical truth, boasting, the way man looks at situations versus God's viewpoint and way of looking at situations. So let's pray and then dive into our text. Okay, Lord, you are so good to us to give us your word. You are so good, Lord, to use that word by the power of your spirit to transform us. So that's what we ask for today, Lord. We ask for the transforming power of your word by the power of your spirit, Lord. Make us more like Jesus as we study your word. We thank you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, Paul begins by saying, I wish you could bear with me in a little foolishness. I don't know about you, but my first thought was, what is this foolishness? According to Webster, foolishness is lack of good sense or judgment, stupidity. I thought, well, I'm not feeling much better about this, Paul. I appreciated Eden and Alyssa's honesty the last two weeks regarding their questions about Paul as they first began studying. I also wondered, where are we going here, Paul? But it's good for us to interact with scripture, right? The word tells us in Romans twelve two to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through studying scripture. So then Paul says, do bear with me. So, okay, Paul, we will bear with you and see where you are taking us, allowing our minds to be transformed. So let's read on verses two and three. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul refers to a divine jealousy. What is a divine jealousy? Aren't we warned against being jealous? Proverbs 27, 4 says, Anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous Galatians 5.21 says, jealousy is a fruit of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 13.4 refers to it as an antonym of love. First Timothy 6.4 refers to jealousy as a symptom of pride. James 3.16 says jealousy is a catalyst for conflict. Jealousy doesn't sound like something to pursue, does it? But divine jealousy, what is that? According to the Gospel Coalition, the jealousy of God is his holy commitment to his honor, glory, and love that manifests itself in the salvation of his people and the just condemnation of all who stand in opposition to him. According to John Piper in Desiring God, if we give any of our worship to another, God is jealous because it belongs to him. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38, what is the greatest commandment? He responded with love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So back to Paul. He led these people to the Lord. His heart is that they stay true to Christ, that they be as a pure virgin brought to her husband, (coughs) undefiled with other lovers. The church is to remain pure, devoted to Christ alone, and nothing and no one else. A bride at this time was betrothed to her husband and then entered a period of engagement for a year in which both were to remain pure until the marriage. We, the church, are Christ's bride. We are to remain purely devoted to him, waiting for his return. So what is Paul's concern? He's concerned about false teachers who are distorting the gospel, teaching of a different Jesus than he preached to them, and that they would be fooled, deceived, and slip from or walk purposefully away from the truth. As I was reading and rereading this, as well as several commentaries regarding this passage, I thought of us as moms. All the things we teach our children, wanting them to grow up loving right, Seeking after Jesus with all their hearts and doing good in the world. And we see all the things in the world that can and potentially do pull them and their hearts away. I remember when my children were very little and I just wanted to hide them in a bubble from anything and everything that wasn't Jesus. We see them in danger and the mama bear comes out in us, does it not? We would put ourselves between our child and any danger if we could. I wonder if this is the same passion Paul is feeling for the Corinthian church whom he loved just as desperately as we love our kids, even when they drive us crazy. We feel the need to defend them from whatever because we know they are vulnerable. Paul also felt that the church was vulnerable to falling away from Christ through their interest in an untrue gospel they are his spiritual children and he is going to fight for them and the true gospel of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4:15 he says, "For I became your father in Christ through the gospel." So Paul here is going to fight for the Corinthians by battling against what they may have been hearing from the ever-present false apostles. Now, how does this affect us in our world today? Are there false apostles today desiring to take us away from biblical truth? Are there false apostles today who like the enemy deceived Eve that tempt us to follow our flesh, to question God's trustworthiness, even present Jesus very differently from the scriptures? We need to be on guard. Be sure that we know the word and what it truly says so that when we hear a false truth, we know instantly that what we are hearing is false. Jesus, as our example, did that in the wilderness. As the enemy twisted scripture, trying to trick Jesus to submitting to his flesh, Christ accurately answered the enemy with appropriate scriptures, fighting against flesh with truth. Many books in the Bible warn about this, including Galatians, that we just read with Cornerstone's Take the Journey daily devotional. Also, Jude warns us, be on guard of those false teachers who have crept into the church unnoticed. Jude also encourages us to contend for the faith. First Peter 5 verses 8 and 9 tells us, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is a good reason for us to be good Bereans. As we read in Acts seventeen eleven, it says that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is a reminder that we need to check what we hear and are being taught. We need to check the scripture ourselves to know it is true. It is also a reminder of the importance of being in the body of Christ, uplifting one another in prayer so that we're not standing alone, but together with others seeking the Lord for truth in his word. Let's go back to our text in verses four through six. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge, Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Paul here seems to almost be offended that the Corinthians are listening to people he considers to be false apostles who are teaching them what he calls a different gospel and a different Jesus. He seems to be saying that they are taken with these false apostles, readily putting up with things that they are teaching that do not agree with what he already taught them. Why? Why would they listen to these men and what they are teaching? Have they been won over by skillful, eloquent speaking? Paul warned about this way back in first Corinthians, worldly wisdom, eloquent speech versus his plain language, focusing only on the gospel of Christ. He is saying, even though i'm not an eloquent speaker i am speaking to you with true unadulterated knowledge chuck swindoll says that paul contrasts the true and false teachers in three ways the first two we just addressed first the false teachers proclaimed another jesus and a different gospel Second, the false teachers displayed attractive charisma in their speaking. And in verses 7 through 12, Paul addresses the third difference. This third difference is going to be that the false teachers were in it for the money. Let's read, starting with verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. Pastor Tim just talked to us about that, right? So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Why? Because I do not love you, God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Paul presents the idea here that possibly they are offended because he does not take money from them to fund his ministry. According to Paul Barnett, In declining the Corinthians gifts, Paul was, from their viewpoint, in serious breach of social convention. Paul wanted to give the gospel free of charge. So he chose to work as a tent maker, leather worker, to earn his own money and fund his own way. The Greeks traditionally despised lowering of oneself in physical labor. Paul also took funds from other churches, such as Macedonia, who desired to fund the spread of the gospel to others. His heart was to not burden the Corinthian church for funds. He wanted them to see that he was not in it for the money, as many false apostles were doing. The Corinthians appear offended and even went so far as to questioning that Paul really loves them. Paul responds that it is because he loves them that he chose to show them a different way. He chose to present the character of Christ to them in direct contrast to the false apostles. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So what are the character qualities stated here of the false apostles? They are deceitful and they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Who does this remind us of? Satan himself. All the way back to creation, his aim is to deceive Eve, make her question God and his goodness, and tempt her flesh. As Pastor Tim has reminded us many times, we have three men enemies of our souls, our flesh, Satan, and the world. The serpent used all three with Eve then, and we still battle them continually. Questions that make us question truth and our trust in God, like, did God really say Our flesh, the world, and Satan continually bombard us with that question. Other questions. Is God really committed to my good? Can he be trusted? Or what about when he allows something I don't like? Or I need to go without something or someone I want? Or what about when something we perceive as bad happens to us or someone we love? What about when we pray and pray and pray and prayers appear unanswered? And maybe we even think they're unheard. We question, is he keeping good stuff from me? Does he really care? But ladies, we need to remember this is the enemy's character to deceive us, to pull us from our devotion of and trust in God. We need to remember that the enemy is a defeated foe. We need to hold on to that truth as an anchor. Praise God for his word. There's a little song that I learned that comes from 1 John 4, 4 that rises up in my heart often. It goes, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Glory, Jesus, glory. You do the fighting for me. Praise you, Jesus, praise you. With you, there's always victory. He's the victor and we have victory through Jesus and the power of his spirit working through us. Also from Psalm 60 verse 12, another song. Through our God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tear down our enemies. We'll sing and shout the victory. Christ is King. He's the victor and victory is ours, but we need to be aware and on guard Knowing that the enemy is crafty and will use other people, our own desires, and all the temptations of the world to try and get us to get our focus off Jesus and off the contentedness he offers and provides to us through himself, his presence, and his power in our lives. Ephesians 6 reminds us to put on the whole armor of God. Put on. That's an action we need to take, to take what he has provided for us. Alyssa talked to us about this last week. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, our feet shod with the gospel of peace and prayer. We need to put them on intentionally to fight for our good and for his glory. Let's go back to verse 16. I repeat, let no one think of me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. Paul appears appalled that they would gladly bear with fools and allow themselves to be taken advantage of, be made slaves of, and take strikes in the face for those who are drawing them away from the true gospel and freedom they have in Christ. He wants to only boast of Christ. But he now feels compelled to boast of his credentials pointing to his Jewish pedigree and heritage verse 21 to my shame I must say we are too weak for that but whatever anyone else dares to boast of I'm speaking as a fool I also dare to boast of that are they Hebrews so am I are they Israelites so am I are they offspring of Abraham so am I are they servants of Christ I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Here, Paul makes mention of acting as a fool as he begins his boasting. He earlier in First 1 Corinthians 131 warned us, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Only boasting in Christ and all he has done is Paul's desire. But in order to counter the false prophets, Paul feels the need to engage in some boasting. He's not speaking here as the Lord, but he himself, as he says, I'm speaking as a fool. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches who is weak and I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? Regarding this part of the passage, Chuck Swindoll states here that Paul takes his boasting to a new level, except this level isn't what anyone would have expected. Instead of listing his accomplishments, he highlights his setbacks scar by scar paul shows the corinthians the battle wounds each tells a story of genuine devotion to christ in contrast to the false teachers life of comfort and ease paul's world of ministry was one of growing and learning filled with pain heartache and uncertainty paul's uphill winding road followed christ to the cross I love Chuck Swindoll. He just brings everything (coughs) home for me. All Paul's Jewish pedigree was true, yet foolishness compared to Christ in him. All he did as a devout Jew was foolishness compared to the transformation Christ did in him after meeting him on the road to Damascus. All that he endured, the beatings, lashings, shipwrecks, jailings, etc., He could never have endured through the strength of his Jewish heritage and pedigree. It was Christ in him, Christ's transforming power. He may not be eloquent in speech or charismatic in his actions or beautiful in appearance, but he was shining the light of Christ that is in him, evidencing the fact that he had been with Jesus and was continually becoming like Christ through the power of the Spirit. The false apostles did not have what he had. What he had was authentic. Three points made by Swindoll regarding Paul's words here. First, Paul did not deny pain and pressure of life. He doesn't pretend everything is, oh, everything's fantastic. Second, Paul doesn't market the misery of his ministry. He shared his hardships because he had to he would much rather talk about the sufferings and triumph of christ than about his own trials and buffetings we also need to ask what are my reasons for sharing things do i want others to know what i endured or do i want to point to christ let's read the final verses verse 30 if i must boast I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. At first, I looked at these verses and I thought, how does this connect with the rest of the chapter? But Swindoll's third point helps in understanding. Paul does not even try to explain why these things happened. God never promised smooth sailing. Paul makes no attempt at analyzing or moralizing. We too should learn, according to Swindoll, to endure the suffering without obsessing over the why questions. As we study this passage and look to apply it to our lives, what is our takeaway? I'm struck with the need to be sure that I am not lured away by Satan, my flesh, or the world from the truth of Christ and his gospel. Swindoll mentions some contrasts to be aware of the true teachers of the gospel of Christ versus the false teachers. True teachers exhibit humility, desire unity, always striving for peace always seeking truth, salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, no condemnation in Christ, an inward substance. The false teachers, however, division, turmoil, falsehood, salvation through good works, circumcision, observing the law, submitting to their constricting leadership and outward appearance. We need to remember that God is always working for our good and his glory. From glory to glory, he is working to change us into Christ-likeness. He pursues us with his love. He asks us to proclaim his true gospel to those around us. He didn't promise us a rose garden, but he did promise to be with us through every moment, supplying the sufficient grace for any and every circumstance. The easy ones right up to the ones we feel we cannot endure. And if we are in a situation like Paul, where we feel the need to be a bit foolish and the need to defend ourselves, let us, as Paul did, speak of our own weaknesses and speak of all Christ has done and continues to do in us for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, which brings the word true to our hearts and helps us to understand. Lord, may your word today transform us in the ways that you know for each woman here, how we uniquely need to hear, what aspect of it we need to apply to our hearts. Thank you that you promise to be with us and guide us and direct us through that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.